Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Big week in sports, sports in the courts, sports on the courts. Everywhere you think about the trillion-dollar sports business, and we are lucky enough to have the sports guru and digital editor worldwide, certainly for all that Reuters holds near and dear, Amy Tenery. How's that? Hey, that's... I, I like it. I like the little tweaks to my job title each week. I can just keep on padding my resume for the next gig I get. Near and dear. I'm not sure <laughs> that gets you anywhere, but at least it's a starting point. We're playing lawyer today. I have the education of one and teach a class, but certainly don't practice. And you have more common sense than to be an average lawyer. So we're perfect with this. That's what I'll tell my mom. That's why I didn't, I didn't get a law degree. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it probably saved everybody a lot of money too. DraftKings, FanDuel, the big-time merger, everybody was talking about it last year, year before everybody was trying to beat the heck out of each other with those two big companies. Now, the merger may not go through. The FTC has some issues about it. What can you tell us? I mean, this is just the latest legal setback for DraftKings and FanDuel. You know, before they were, you know, had had some issues operating in New York State, and there's some questions about whether it was really legal. And now, of course, the FTC, you know, they feel like maybe this is, you know, not really a, a merger that can go through because it'll monopolize the industry. Now, I, I, struggle to come up with any two other names other than DraftKings and FanDuel when I think of this industry. I've heard of Draft Ops, but that's only because they sponsored the poor, sad Islanders, and I live in walking distance from Barclays Center. Uh, but my question to you is, is this an issue of it being a monopoly, or is the industry itself just so young that there aren't enough players out there? And, and, and do you think this merger will eventually go through? Well, it's a good good way to evaluate the question, because if you start with two companies, and those two companies want to merge. By definition, they could never merge if the industry was so young that there was no one else around. But yeah. So there are a few other companies. Uh, there's a company called SportsLock. There are a few others, but nowhere near the power of these two. Oh, absolutely. You know, they got so big so fast, I guess, is the issue as well. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I don't think either of us miss are those godforsaken ads that were oh. every minute by both of those companies, right? Oh, my gosh. Well, I think that's, yeah, at a certain point, they were. it was like an arms race between the two of them to see you know how much airtime they could come up with an ESPN. And I guess they decided that the, the easier thing for them to do is just to play nice and merge with each other. But it's it's like, man, if, if they just can't seem to catch a break. There's always some other hurdle that they're dealing with. And, you know, they're suffering financial losses over it. Well, yes. And here's the thing. They both raised a lot of money early. They both grabbed investment dollars from respective teams and leagues in pro sports. If FanDuel did one deal, then DraftKings was ready to do another one with another team or another league or another owner. And the FTC standards, talking about, quote, concentration levels well beyond what's necessary to establish a presumption of competitive harm. That's mumbo-jumbo, but the bottom line is if it's a barrier to entry, they get too big too fast. That's the issue. To answer your original question, I'm not sure they ever merge. They certainly Mm -hmm. went through it at the right time. They got hit with all of these losses. They overextended on ads. They overextended on rights and sponsorships. But then gambling limitations in certain states. So once it shakes out, ironically, 
the more losses they have, the easier it's going to be for the FTC to let them merge. But it might be too late by that time. That is an irony. Yeah, that is. That's actually that's fascinating. I, I'm going to be watching this one closely because it's a real puzzler to see how long they can they can hang on. Yeah. Well, and frankly, you know, there is an appetite for this, but it's not the appetite, I think, that everybody thought about a few years ago when they were dominating everything. And now they've made a lot of enemies, a lot of jealousy and the like. Let's go across the pond or south or west or wherever we want to go. But we're talking about the Olympics and, you know, amid escalating security concerns, NBC may move their hospitality (laughs) not to South Korea, but to Jackson Hole or some other resort. Interesting. They haven't made that commitment yet, but you know, we know you were in, in Rio last last time. And, and, and what's your thought about this issue? It's, you know, the Olympics are only eight months away and already NBC is a little nervous about this. Yeah. I, you know, look, I mean, it's we live in a different world. I think the threat of terror is is something that's going to weigh over every Olympics, whether you have it in South Korea or you have it in Australia. It's just the reality that we live in. And when I was getting ready to go to the Olympics in Rio, there was a lot of questions over what was going to be the one thing that was going to hamper the entire event. Was it going to be Zika? That was the the big question and ended up being a complete really non-issue, at least while I was there. Um, so I think this is you know, yet another example of trying to kind of read the tea leaves on what's going to be the big threat to the Olympics. You know, this case, I have to wonder, and maybe you have some clarity on this, you know, how is this going to affect advertising? Because if you don't have all these kind of plush amenities and and boosts to bring in advertisers, what is really, you know, the incentive? Do you think it's just going to have a hit on on the overall sponsorship that uh, NBC can rake in? Yeah, it's kind of ironic. Virtual reality, the ski sponsors sponsoring the downhill live from Jackson Hole, Wyoming doesn't really work. So that's an issue. But at the end of the day, the Olympics are still uh, dramatic Mm -hmm. every other year. Mm -hmm. Some are bigger than winter. But McDonald's drops out. It is musical chairs. Intel does a deal, by the way, Amy, at $400 million through 2024. And Intel is interesting because they're going to show off the collection of their advanced technical capabilities, their 5G mobile collection platforms, Uh their streaming, their connectivity. And this is a good example of the Olympics and a worldwide audience being able to showcase some technical stuff, hence that 400 million bucks through 2024. So I think, and hopefully, you know, you can give me some perspective on it, a sponsor is not going to throw away this money just to sponsor. He's got to do something that activates in a very unique and very different way these days for the Olympics. Oh, I completely agree. And and you did mention, you know, that McDonald's dropped out. So that's, that's left a bit of a vacuum. Does the Intel deal, does that come anywhere close to filling the void, or are they still going to be looking for some other players in the mix? I'm actually not sure. They're actually looking for a lot of other players. Uh, it doesn't fill the void, but what it does is it stops the hemorrhaging. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how the Olympic movement takes advantage of this. Mm-hmm. The next big thing we're looking at in two months is do they award L.A. and Paris 2024 and 2028? Mm-hmm. If that's the case, there are two solid citizens that are ready to host two summer games. And that may bring some sponsors, certainly American sponsors, uh, U.S. deals, headquarters, once we know that there are going to be at least one games here in the Western Hemisphere. But you never know what's going to happen there. It is a really interesting and defining moment for the Olympics. Absolutely. Definitely. Let's talk patches, not other kind of patches, jersey (laughs) patches. The Magic and the Timberwolves both signed three-year jersey deals. Walt Disney World with the Magic, it's an arena deal as well to promote tourism. And Mm -hmm. the Timberwolves looked at Fitbit, 
as they tried to find some Chinese companies. They settle on a fresh look at technology here. Mm -hmm. So Jersey Patch deals continue to grow. Uh, you're a purist, but you're also a practical money buys things in sports. Interesting mm -hmm. to see how you come out on this one. I am decidedly pro-patches. I think anybody that complains about the commercialization of sports is uh, about two decades late. We're already there. Um, and I'd rather see businesses funding stadiums and, and uh, you know, kind of footing the bill for some of these teams than see it come out of public funding. So I'm definitely, you know, in favor of this. Um, what I like about the Orlando Magic deal with Disney's, it's kind of holistic and it's reciprocal. You know, if you if you are a pass holder, you get upgrades at the stadium and like that's that's pretty cool and I think that's smart you know my question to you is 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 this going to alienate fans for you know like you said the purists or are people just going to kind of get over it well listen Premier League has had it for years those kit deals which are shirt deals with the European name attached to it 200 $300 million dollars uh, mm -hmm. that's accepted for a long time MLS here accepted for a long time Canadian Football League we're uh, xenophobic about it. We disdain it. But Sun Life and Nissan and Rona have sponsored CFL teams, jersey patches for a long time. And by the way, your example about a patch relative to what a team does is really mm -hmm. important. Cavaliers, five to ten million bucks over the three-year period. Why? LeBron James' home is Akron. Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, Akron home. Makes a lot of sense. Sacramento Kings, Blue Diamond Almonds, they're in the Almond Belt. I guess that makes some sense. StubHub, Pioneer deal with the Sixers, five million. That made some sense. Celtics, General Electric, that's there. That makes a lot of sense, too. And so I do think it's going to happen, and I do think it's really a good example of generating revenue, not only you share with the players, but it's more money that you can raise without putting the burden on others, as you so aptly point out. Uh, you know, and the interesting thing about our guest, too, as we segue into it, uh, Milton Lee, uh, he is the VP of Oxenim Sports and Entertainment. Uh, he was that VP uh, when they were the holding company of the Nets and Barclays Center. General Manager and Director of Back Basketball Operations for the Brooklyn Nets early. But he's the CEO of Keymotion, which is really interesting. And the concept there is this is a technology that allows for remote telecasts of all games and events without humans. Streaming potential for Title IX, for smaller sports, for new technology. So the games can be telecast and announced remotely. It's an interesting concept because we all agree Title IX sports and everything, you ought to have your moment in the sun, you ought to be televised. But it certainly reduces expenses, which means a lot more television opportunity. Sounds like a neat idea, huh? I absolutely think so. And I think, you know, the more platforms you're getting these games on, that's that's just better in general because, you know, the traditional model of airing, uh, you know, events only on television and, and not mobile and not on other platforms is just, it's it's going away. So I, they're, you know... The guy's on to something, I guess. He's on to something, and he also was the primary advisor to Russian billionaire Mikhail Prokhorov when he bought the Nets. So as we get into NBA free agency, there are a lot of things that Milton Lee can tell us that are very interesting. Here he is now. Ricardo Sloan Analytics, MIT conference, winding down day one, and people are still clamoring for those conversations with guys in a position of hiring, 
people in a position of getting advice. This still is one of the most dynamic conferences you could ever deal with sports analytics. I find it ironic, we've talked about it before, that sports analytics 10 years ago was just a couple of guys with an abacus. Not really, but it certainly progressed very significantly over time. Milton Lee, the CEO of Keymotion, one of those companies that we'll learn a little bit more about. We'll also remember some of your experiences with the Barclays Center and the Nets. Milton, good to see you. Thank you very much. Good to much. see you. Thanks for having me, buddy. Absolutely. And so, a uh, shameless plug early. Thank you for telling me at the yeah. beginning of this interview that right. you're one of the two or three people that actually read my <laughs> book and got something out of it. Thank you. It was, it was very helpful. I mean, if you're not in that arena, you have no idea what goes into building an arena yeah. and all the constituents involved. Well, it was very well, helpful. Well put on that. And you're, you kind of cut your early teeth, uh, Ratner, uh, Barclays Center, that whole development process in the Nets, yeah. and, and Prokhorov. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I came on as Prokhorov's advisor when he was looking at the team, and obviously Barclays Center was integral to that deal. Um, and as Prokhorov was going to put in 45% of the funding for Barclays Center, he was going to have a big say in both how it got built, uh, but also, you know, the constituents were going to have to approve Prokhorov and his involvement in it. So um, there was a lot of what, what was not obvious to me is how unique an arena development is because you have so many different constituents that use it on a daily basis. And to fulfill all those people's needs is really an incredible task. Well, and, and certainly it happens that way in every city, probably magnified in a place like Brooklyn where there were a whole bunch of other intra-borough politics sure, as sure. well as the whole public-private partnership piece. That's actually what I took away from your book and the amount of people that you had to appease, for lack of a better word, to bring them all to the table and get people to agree on a compromise that fulfills everyone's needs. A place like Brooklyn, hardcore union intensive, um, a project that was delayed year after year after year. I mean, you went through this. Yeah. Things look like they don't happen and right. then magically they come together at the last right. minute. And when something's not happening, it's because things are happening elsewhere that you don't see. Exactly. Part of, part, part, exactly. Probably part of the issue. You look back on your Nets experience, um, positive, building something that's really good. Um, does it matter that the team's only won nine games at, at this point to you? How do you feel? Um, I would say that it doesn't keep me up at night, and I'd feel a lot better if they were winning 60 games this season. Yeah. But, um, you know, certain decisions were made, um, as Adam Silver just talked about. We really went for it. And, you know, the, the pain afterwards is probably greater than anticipated. Nobody's happy about where the Nets are right now, including probably the league. In fact, the only right. people are, are happy are the people in Boston. Right. Um, right. But, you know, we did a lot of great things. Moving a franchise from New Jersey to Brooklyn. I was also in charge of their analytics. I was in charge of their minor league operations. Um, and bringing the first international owner to the NBA, the first majority international owner, there are a lot of great things to be proud of. When you say you brought a foreign owner, it's not just any foreign owner, it's a Russian owner, and the dynamics of a Russian owner mixing with everybody else. Tell us some stories that nobody else has heard. <laughs> <laughs> Fake stories or, or real yeah, stories? Yeah, yeah, good, good answer. You know, uh, uh, good answer. Stories you're willing to tell. You know, Prokhorov's an interesting guy, Some, somewhat, I think, a little misconceived. You know, he's known as this playboy that flies around the world and does all these macho things, which he does. He's really an avid sportsman. But there's an element of him that's actually very shy, and he's also very business-oriented in today's day and age. However, 
does not use a computer, does not use a cell phone, really is old school, slow thinking, and understands where the pressure points and when the time to move is. He had looked at the Nets previously, but after the 08 crisis in 09, he understood what kind of deal he could get, and he pounced on what he thought you know, was a great opportunity. And it's a real estate deal, too. Exactly. Which, exactly. Is a, which is key. Well, what was it like dealing with a, a person in this day and age that was old school technologically? Mm. Well, he had enough people around him that would filter the information to him. One of the challenges maybe for Prokhorov and his chief staff people is that in European basketball, in Russia specifically, there's just a different way of doing business than in the U.S. And so there's no salary cap restrictions. Um, there isn't the evenness of the playing field in a lot of ways that the NBA brings. And uh, maybe it took them a little while to get up the learning curve. So communicating some of those things when they're versed on a certain way of doing things, you know, it's, it's, it's a cultural difference in a lot of ways. Um, you know, that, that was uh, something that they are well aware of now. Well, good luck to the Brooklyn Nets, but you're on to other things. Yeah. So tell us about Keymotion. Yeah, Keymotion is a fantastic technology. It's an automated video production of professional basketball games. And so, similar to a driverless car, we film, produce, and stream basketball games without cameramen. Now, why that's important is because it's actually very expensive to produce NBA games. It costs upwards of $100,000 per night to produce a game. For the games that we're producing, and we produce five professional leagues over in Europe, when you break down the costs cost over the course of the season, it's sub $1,000 per game, HD quality, completely produced, and advertising embedded. Cameramen around the country unite. <laughs> <laughs> but leagues and teams around the country, that's the man you ought to be talking to. No, 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 no. no. Wait. <laughs> you say that in jest. But yeah, I will no. say that it's actually much more about unlocking all those events, all those stories right. that nobody's Maybe ever been able to otherwise. see before. Right. right? All those second-tier sports, the Division II, we're currently streaming NAIA games on Fox Sports. We're going to do 31 games in six days for the NAIA National Tournament with no human beings. Now, previously, nobody ever got to see those events. Nobody got to see those high school rivalries that maybe we wanted, the incredible plays from across the world that nobody captured. And Keymotion's going to allow people to produce all those events, monetize the content, and deliver it to all these people. And I call it a what, what's happening in society. We want less of more. We want little snapshots of everything out there. We don't want more of more because we only have this much attention span. Right. So we're going to deliver less of more. So the more of more, however, as it relates to D2 and D3 and all of that in high school is you do really provide the technical streaming of all of the game. It's just a question of, of which pieces somebody wants to see. They're able Correct. to watch any part of it. So the most powerful part of our solution is the fact that we automate the video production. Again, our cameras will move from side to side, panning in, zooming out, making it look like a human being is behind there. And that is really a powerful solution. You know, the, the interesting part about your solution, too, is that, that I assume as you become the, the Mother Teresa of otherwise non-televised sports and bring it to the masses, how do you monetize? 
We're a subscription model, so we sell on three and four year contracts. It's not so different than a car lease. I make a lot of analogies to what's going on in the car industry, not only with driverless cars, but also that we are a leasing model. And we hope that at the end of that three year cycle, you're gonna upgrade to our new model for another four year cycle, which is what just happened in France. We operated there the previous three years, 20 arenas, now we're in 45 arenas for the next four years. So the next driverless airplane or car that has an issue, you're going to start... Uh, <laughs> Our technology can do that as well. <laughs> yes. I'm sure it could. So the future of this, and uh, let, let's back up for a second. The, the, the thing you have in common, absent the fact that you are much more experienced and you probably have more access to capital than others, is that there is there are loads of technology opportunities out there and I haven't talked to one person in the last day who says they have a bad idea. Um, <laughs> how do you take it from an idea where you have some kind of an epiphany moment yeah. to actually getting it done, getting it off the ground? Yeah. Um, well, you know, there's a lot of sleepless nights. Yeah. There's a lot of begging for business. Um, and then there's oftentimes, in a trajectory of a small business, a moment of inflection where somebody adopts you that maybe you didn't even think was gonna be the adopter and they validate what you're doing. And that's important. So Peter Goober was giving a speech about the most important time in a rocket's trajectory into space is the first three seconds. Because if you can lift yeah. off of that, you're pretty good to go. We've cleared the first three seconds, we hope. And we feel like we're pretty good to go. Are you we outside have... the Earth's gravitational pull? <laughs> We, we hope, we hope we'll have, there'll be room for you. But wow, with, if there's room for me, then we're okay, With man. clients like Golden State Warriors, yeah. Villanova Wildcats, yeah. all of France, you know, Fox Sports, we feel like we're ready to continue lifting off. And so five years from now, what do you look like? We're in 110 arenas around the world right now in 10 countries, three continents. Five years from now, it's 5,000 arenas. Um, on six of the continents, maybe Africa, not yet, so five continents. Um, and we are producing live streaming and possibly broadcasting on TV. If TV is still a medium at that point, we don't even know where the world is going to go. You know, I talked about earlier today, you think of what happened in the last week. Yeah. MLBAM rumored to be streamed on Facebook Live. Right, and YouTube, by the way, they also cut a deal with the Game of Thrones. Oh, did they? Yeah, which is kind of an interesting way to get back yeah. to their roots. So that's another that's another another interesting thing. YouTube announcing their TV platform, an OTT competitor to what's what's being announced on TV, and then Snapchat's IPO. So the way that content is being digested is evolving at an incredible place. We're glad that we're part of the creation of this content, which we think is not as crowded as all of those other areas. I find it an honor or gratuitous that you actually would tell me that you read my book and uh, learned some of the business principles. But more important than that, good luck in the future. This is a can't miss and I really appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. I'm Rick Harrell. The producer of the show, Alex Cohen. Associate producer, Bethel Hobte. Assistance provided by Tanner Simpkins and Carlos Waddick. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Colarusso.